You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. I'm Jake McCandless, and today I'm talking about spiritual preparedness, being a spiritual prepper, but I'm also saying standing firm isn't enough. And I'm also apologizing to people that I didn't tell the whole truth to. I hope they're listening. I shared a little bit about me in my previous episode. I also talked about this same Subject, if you hadn't caught that, I hope you will. So again, I am Jake McCandless. I lead a ministry called Stand Firm. You can find more about that at standfirmjake.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Stand Firm Jake, Twitter, and Instagram. So I lead Stand Firm where we're helping believers navigate such a time as this through content, speaking. Also an author, have books on this subject. One of them, Four Children, the first traditionally published book on Jesus Jesus and his white horse, but also a church planner, pastor. Okay, that's enough on that. But I want you to know, I'm coming at this, you know, details about the end of the age, us preparing for that. I'm, I'm coming from a pastoral heart. And I, because my heart is, you know, we just wouldn't just know the details. We need to know the details. We do. We need to know what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, there's so much stuff going, being said out there that's not true. That's not what's going to happen. We really need to know the truth. I enjoy that study. I enjoy teaching and preaching upon that as well, writing on it. But if we just hear those things and don't do anything, you know, James says, we can be like a man who looks at the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. Now I do that on purpose, right? But we can do that with the Word. We can read it and then walk away and go back to the same old thing. Every time we go to the Word, we should walk away in a step of obedience to what we read. Okay, we talked about spiritual prepping last time. We talked about looking at the greatest danger, the greatest risk. We started and we looked at, of course, salvation, beginning to follow Christ, but we also looked at being found faithful in the importance of standing firm to the end. One, because the warning I talked about last time, Matthew 24.10, many will turn away. Now that's talking about a prophetic time, but it's a reality that's already occurring. This is before COVID. So I began tracking this 2012, the, the numbers I was seeing at that time, a study from 2009 combining census information and research from the Barna Group showed that there were 35 Americans who would check a box that they once professed Christ, once were involved in a church, and then would check that they no longer believed and had walked away. 35 million. 2014, that number had rose to 42 million. Again, using Barna Research, Before COVID again, 
2019, the numbers I was seeing. There was a similar study from Pew Research, and it seemed to reveal 67 million who once believed that had now walked away. And, you know, whatever the stats mean, I guess, but I just know in reality, as a pastor, the conversations I have everywhere would go something like, you know, pastor, I used to, you know, I used to go down to church there or church here or whatever, and then this happened in my life, and I just, you know, I just quit. I just didn't do it anymore. Man, I became convicted. If in these prophetic times when persecution is at an ultimate high and difficulties are happening in the beginning of the birth pains, many will turn away and they've already been doing it, man, we're in trouble. So a lot stand for them. Begin speaking on it, right? And I would often preach on the parable of the ten minas found in Luke 19. Now, we're probably most familiar with the parable of the talents or the parable of the gold bags, if you've got a New Living translation, which is actually probably a better way of saying it. But the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, you know, as this master's going away and he leaves his servants in charge, he gives them, not a ta- not like singing talent, you know, but he gives them some money and they're to use it to grow his business and he comes back and they have to give an account and those who, who grew his business they're told, well done, a good and faithful servant. And he is displeased with those who didn't, right? Well, I like the version in Luke 19 because one, that talent phrase just <laughs> throws it off for so many people. Uh, it did for me for years. And we're talking about another form of currency here in Luke 19. Same principle. It also reveals an aspect of the millennial kingdom, which I think is really cool. So you you know Matthew 25. Let's look at Luke 19. And I I would present this, and then I would conclude, therefore, because the Lord will return, we need to stand firm. But to everywhere I went and I spoke that, I need to apologize. I don't want to tell you why, but let's go to the text. Luke 19, verse 11 While they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He, Jesus, said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. I love when Jesus tells parables. Because they're so often, like so close to reality. You know, he keeps it close to the vest, right? So he says, okay, here's the story, guys. It's this man of noble birth, a prince, if you will. And he travels to a distant country, and one day he's going to be king there. But he doesn't stay there. He, he goes back to the homeland, but he's going to come back and, and be king. Sounds familiar, right? Verse 13. So he called ten of his servants, and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. A mina seems to be a certain currency or at least a certain amount of money. It's estimated to be three months of one's salary. So it's a big chunk of money. So he takes ten of his servants. He gives them each a mina. He says, put this to work, 
he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Now remember, he gave 10 people, 10 servants, each Amina. He's calling them in. And let's see what he finds out. The first one came and said, Sir, your Mina has earned 10 more. So I'm not very good at math. I'm probably going to screw this up. Okay, let's say this Mina was $15,000. The now king comes. He invites the first servant up. And he says, Sir, that 15000 you gave me, I have turned it around to 150000 Well done, my, verse 17, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Now, I like Matthew 25 because it adds the, well done, my good and faithful servant, but well done, my good servant, still good, right? But did you see the change here? It adds that part. Take charge of 10 cities. What? I think this is where we get a glimpse into the millennial kingdom uh, we know we're going to reign with Christ. Does that mean we're all mayors and and that's uh, I you know I don't I don't know, and I don't know about you. That didn't sound like a reward. That sounds like a headache. But you got to re- understand we're going to be in our perfect glorified bodies. You know, there's no more need for Tylenol or ibuprofen. Okay, so the first one did good, tenfold return. The master was pleased. The king was pleased. Verse eighteen. The second came and said, "Sir, your mina has earned five more." Okay. He took that 15,000, turned it to 75,000. Don't check my math, but I think that's right. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. So the king was pleased as well. Then we read verse 20. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master, the king, replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money at least on deposit? And he probably said, sir, you know how bad the interest rates are, right? So then when I came back, I could have at least collected it with interest. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away and give it to the one who has 10. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He, the master, replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay. Let's do the lineup here. We had 10. We had 10 servants. A lot of times we just look at it, okay, it's like only three showed back up. Where's the other seven? Well, the other seven are those enemies of his. So you had seven who were given Amina, who were given 15,000, and they just spent it on however they wanted to live and whatever they wanted to do. They said, forget the king. We hate him. Let's just kill him. Wow. So we've got one who pleases the king with a tenfold return. We have two who pleases the king with a fivefold return. We have the seven who hate him and just 
wasted their mina. But then you have one who took that mina and he hid it away. The king was not too pleased, was he? But now this servant realized this mina was special. It meant something. It needed to be protected. In other words, this servant stood firm till the end. Yet the king was hacked off. That's my apology. Or what I need to apologize about. Completely brokenhearted with the many turning away, I would go in and speak and share this parable and conclude that it calls us to stand firm. We need to begin preparing now spiritually so we can stand firm. We'd encourage people to write, fill out these cards that they're committing to stand firm and to put it somewhere and to share this picture online that says, you know, I declare I'm going to stand firm. A good thing, right? Especially pre-COVID, right? Man, if more people could have heard that message. But the thing is, Standing firm is not good enough. So I've been doing this for about three years. I was traveling to Oklahoma City, driving, just kind of going over this in my head. I felt like the Lord just slapped me. (laughs) Standing firm is not good enough. Listen, we ain't doing it. You know, I'm begging people... Please stand firm, and at the best, that just hacks the king off, right? We need to be investing what the Lord has given us for his kingdom. We need to be growing his business. It's not enough to stand firm. We also need to march on. It's not enough to be a spiritual prepper. We also need to be a spiritual warrior marching forward. But then the question can come, okay, well... I can grow the master's kingdom in this way and that way. So this, you know, especially in the parable in Matthew 25, that master had a particular business. His servants were to grow his portfolio. So what is the Lord's portfolio? What is his business? It's disciples. It's making disciples. When we look at, okay, I need to, I'm going to stand firm. I want to be ready for seeing the Lord. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, which I hope is your heart. Well, what do we need to do? How do we reverse engineer this thing? Well, we stand firm, but that's not enough. We need to be on mission. We need to be making disciples. I want to tell you the statistics are bad of people leaving the faith. But the statistics of those who stay and profess Christ are absolutely atrocious when it comes to making disciples. Several years ago, I saw a stat from Lifeway Research that said 0% have shared the faith in their lifetime. So they rounded to the highest number that came up with zero. Since then, I've seen a, a few better numbers when it comes to actually discipling the Great Commission. And I know you, you're you probably like me. You hear that and you're like, well, that, that's for them disciple-making people. That's for the missionaries. That's for pastors. No, that's all of us. 
Now, some may be more gifted than others. But it's for all of us. Some, it may become more natural. And for my wife, man, she can share the gospel so easily. She can disciple and just, I get so jealous. You know me? You know, I'm in my studio doing a podcast. Obviously, I'm not out talking to folks because I'm an introvert, but still, I want to be found faithful. And being found faithful, it, Jesus told the disciples what to do, right? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The rubric of faithfulness is not just following and standing firm. It's also fishing. Follow and fish. Can I, I know you're listening to this podcast because you're tracking. You've seen what Scripture says. You see what's happening in the world, and you're like, hey, hey we need to get ready. Now, there are some physical things that could be prepped. I hope you're doing some of that. More than anything, I hope you're spiritually ready. You're spiritually prepped. But I can venture to say that one of the first things that comes to our mind in spiritually preparing is not, okay, I need to make disciples. But we need to put it on our mind. If we're truly going to be spiritually prepared, we need the rubric. Follow and fish. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 